turn in your Bibles with me once again to uh, the book of Mark, Mark chapter 6. You're welcome to follow along with the insert in your bulletin. This passage that we come to today is a very familiar passage to many of us, to those of us who grew up in the church especially. It's a passage that no matter what gospel you read, uh, it will be found there. This account is found in all four gospels. And it's a passage that stands really, it was strikingly so as I sat down this week to pick up where we left off last week in the book of Mark as we walk our way and study our way through this great book. It's a passage that stands in stark contrast to where we were last week, those of you who were here. As you will hear as we read this, we have moved from last week's feast of a privileged few to suddenly this week, the satisfaction of thousands. From the banquet hall of power to power displayed in the wilderness. And most importantly, from the cruel actions of a wannabe king to the compassion of the king of kings. And that's ultimately, of course, where we always want to end up when we open up God's Word, is we want to end up with our Savior. We want to end up with Jesus. And this miracle that we're about to read is, is a story that is not just about the miracle itself. After all, think about it. There are bigger and better ways that Jesus could have chosen to show and display His raw power. But this is about the kind of king, the kind of savior that Jesus came to be. And so if you would, stand with me and listen as I read Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44 is where we find ourselves today. Listen as I read. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he that is, Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And He began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, His disciples came to Him and said, This is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But He answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them, 
And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the word of the Lord. Some years ago, this story, which no doubt is a preacher's dream, came out of Istanbul, Turkey. Perhaps you've heard it before this sermon and another sermon, not in one of mine anyway, but it's a story that came out of Istanbul, Turkey and appeared in the AP News. And here it goes. First, one sheep jumped to its death. Then, stunned Turkish shepherds who had left the herd to graze while they had breakfast watch as nearly 1,500 others followed, each leaping off the same cliff, Turkish media reported. In the end, 450 dead animals lay on top of one another in a billowy white pile. Those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and the fall more cushioned, Axom paper reported. The estimated loss to families in the town of Gevas, located in the Van Providence in eastern Turkey, tops $100,000, a significant amount of money in a country where the average gross domestic product per head is about $2,700. Crazy story. And it brings new meaning to the question that I know I heard time and time again as a teenager from my mother. If all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump off that bridge as well, Nathan? I, of course, always said no, and in the literal sense, this was true. But in the figurative sense, oh, I totally would have. You see, as a teenager... I so needed my parents' shepherding. And as a grown man, I still need shepherding. We all need shepherding. And one wonders if if the Lord doesn't give us occasional news stories like this, which it's a true story, but in and of itself, it's like a modern-day parable. And one wonders if the Lord doesn't give us these kinds of stories to make us stop and to think again about the biblical imagery that the Lord Jesus uses and that the Bible uses to describe our relationship, our tendencies, and His care. See, I think that's where Mark and the Holy Spirit take us this morning as we continue our walk through this Gospel. Two truths. Two truths for us to meditate on. And they're two truths accompanied by wonderful, wonderful promises that guide us. And the first one is this. Jesus is the good shepherd who has come to lead. Jesus is the good shepherd who has come to lead. As we jump back into this account of Jesus' life, it's apparently been weeks, maybe even months, since the events At the very beginning of this chapter, at the very beginning of chapter 6, you'll remember those of you who have been here for several weeks, back in verse 7, Jesus sent out his disciples, 
right? And he sent them out two by two into the neighboring towns with instructions on how to handle themselves as they proclaim the good news of the kingdom and the message of repentance. Well, the disciples have gone out. That was in verse 7. They've gone out. They have done that. And now here in verse 30, the apostles have returned. They're back from their travels. And they're tired. And where Jesus was during this time, during this period where the disciples were in the surrounding towns, we don't know. Maybe Jesus was with them. Maybe He wasn't. But with echoes of intentional pace, that we looked at several chapters earlier, Jesus tells them to rest. It's time to rest, brothers. The problem is, Jesus' reputation, the people's curiosity and the people's need, makes resting for Jesus and for for the disciples an almost impossible task. And as we read this story, at least as I read this story, it's almost a laughable scene. I mean, think about it. Jesus and his disciples, they, they push away from the shore in this boat in order to retreat, in order to get away. Well, the Sea of Galilee, as we've talked about before, it's a very large lake. It's, it's not that big. And on a calm day, on a sunny day, one could easily track the vessel as it crosses the water. And that's exactly what these crowds do. It's like, a, it's like a modern paparazzi chase scene as they track the boat and try to determine where the boat is headed and where the boat is going to land. And these crowds start running around the lake to intersect the boat before it comes ashore. And as they're running through towns, crowds begat crowds. And the crowd just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So by the time Jesus and his disciples get to the desolate place where they want to rest, there are literally thousands of people waiting for them. And here's the thing, the sobering thing. These are not just curious people. These are not just even needy people, broken people. These people are ready for a revolution. These people want a king. They are longing for a leader. Now, this isn't so obvious in Mark's account that we find here, but if you flip over to John's description of the very same event in John chapter 6, we read in John 6.15, after Jesus does all he is about to do here, John tells us this, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew. See, these people, they're leaderless. They're desperate for leading. They're desperate for a king. And indeed, Jesus has come to be their king. Just not the king that they imagined they needed. Jesus has not come to overthrow Rome with the fight, but Jesus has come to be the good shepherd, to gently lead them, ultimately by his death. I want you to notice two things under this point that 
Mark draws our attention to two things about Jesus. The first thing that Mark draws, especially his Jewish readers' attention to, is that Jesus is the long-awaited shepherd. Now, we talked all the way back in chapter 1 about John the Baptist and his ministry and and his proclamation that Jesus was indeed the long-promised Messiah. And here Mark takes a little finer point to it and says, Jesus is the long-awaited shepherd. These early Christians that first heard this gospel of Mark, they didn't have their Bibles in, in, the lap, in their laps like you do. They didn't have Old Testaments spread out before them, but they, they had it up here. They had heard the stories. For generations, they had heard God's Word read to them. And so when they hear about Mark's description of how Jesus felt about the crowd, and we'll get to that point in a minute, they remembered their history. They remembered Numbers 27 as God instructs His people, who will succeed Moses? He says, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them, who shall come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. And that man was Joshua in Moses' time. Joshua, the Hebrew form of the name Jesus. See, Joshua was called to lead God's people into the land of promise, but that was a mere pointer for the better Joshua who would come to lead his people into the eternal land of promise. Not only that, they remembered Ezekiel 34 when the shepherds of Israel were failing God's people and he rebukes them. God rebukes them through the prophet and he says to them in verse 22 and 23, I will rescue my flock. They will no longer be prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And that shepherd was David, God's anointed king, a mere pointer to the better David to come. Well, not just that, but they remembered that verse that we just read, that psalm that we just read, Psalm 23, the Lord is their shepherd who leads them beside still waters. A designation that Jesus takes on himself in John chapter 10 as he says, I am the good shepherd. Make no mistake, Mark says, to his Jewish readers, and to us here today, that this is the one. This is the shepherd who has come to lead. But I don't want you to just think about the richness of the promises fulfilled in Jesus. Although it is rich, And this is part of the richness of our tradition. We talked about this last week with the men being trained for officer candidacy. The unity of the two Testaments and the fact of the Old Testament pointing to the New and the Old Testament pointing to Jesus is one of the richness of our faith. But I don't want you to just see that. I want to also think about just the character of Jesus. Think for a moment with me under this first point about the compassion of Jesus. 
Verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Here is yet another place where the Holy Spirit, by his word, reminds me that I'm not like Jesus. (laughs) That I am not like Jesus. And in fact, the word used here, the word translated as compassion, in the New Testament, it only is worn by Jesus. And rightfully so. For who else can have compassion like this? I mean, here is a people, needy, persistent, and I might say concerned about, or or excuse me, confused about proper boundaries. I've got a boat full of tired brothers. I'm probably tired myself. I'm just going to tell these people to go home, or I'm not going to come ashore when I see them on the shore. But that's not Jesus. Jesus sees this leaderless people, this hungry people. He sees our need and He loves. He doesn't see a problem. He sees a person. He doesn't see a burden. He sees an opportunity to give more of Himself. Brothers and sisters, it's no different for you or me today. He knows you. He knows your need and you are not a burden to Him. But He loves you. What a Savior. But as we move on to the second truth, let me ask a question. When He sees their need, what is it? I mean, what really do these people need? The end of verse 34, we read, He began to teach them many things. Interesting. And that brings us to our second truth. Jesus is the shepherd who has come to feed. Jesus is the shepherd not only who has come to lead His people, But He is the shepherd who has come to feed His people. As we return to the scene, Jesus is teaching and it's getting late. And notice Mark says that they are in a desolate place. We might say they are in a wilderness place. Thousands of people are there and they haven't eaten in hours. And the disciples do what seems to be a perfectly wise and practical suggestion. Jesus, let's call this a day. Let's dismiss these folks and let them go find some food. There's nothing to eat close by. What does Jesus do? Jesus instead serves from the lunch bag of a single boy. Now again, Mark doesn't tell us this detail, but John's account tells us that the Five loaves and the two fish were from a boy. It was his lunch. It was his dinner. It said Jesus serves from this lunch bag of a single boy, not just 5,000 people, because that was just counting the men, but literally what could have been as many as fifteen to 20,000 men, women, and children. 
And this is not, as the, the liberals want to say, almost comically so, the miracle here is not that people shared. No, the miracle here is that this wasn't possible apart from God. But even more than that, the miracle here shows us about the shepherd who has come to feed. I've narrowed it down to, to five things, five subpoints. I know I've gone a little subpoint happy here, but each one leads to the next one. Under the second point, Jesus is the shepherd who has come to feed. First of all, Jesus is the better Joshua, the better David, and the better Moses. You see, not only would Mark's readers remember all that shepherd imagery that we spoke of earlier, but also they would have remembered the feeding of manna from heaven through the leadership of Moses. Even the location of being in a, in a desolate place brings to mind the, the wilderness wandering of the people of God in the Old Testament. We read in Deuteronomy 8.3, as Moses calls his people to remember what God has done, he says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Even the division of the people, this is a curious thing that we find in this passage, the division of people into groups of hundreds and, and fifties, what does that bring to mind? Well, to the Jewish mind, it brings to mind Exodus 19, excuse me, 18, where Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, suggests that he divide the people of God in order to better care for their needs. You see, it all proclaims, especially to Mark's Jewish hearers, that Jesus is the leader. Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the provider that Joshua, that David, that Moses could never be, nor were they ever meant to be. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. That's the first subpoint. And the second one is this, we need His Word, right? When He saw their need, what did He begin to do? He taught them. Now, Mark doesn't tell us what the context of, uh, or what the uh, content of Jesus' words are, but He does tell us that He teaches. And I suspect there were many here who were ready to crown Him as King, as we talked about, or as John alludes to in John chapter 6. Many were sick and in need of healing, and certainly there was a time and a place for that. But Mark here reminds us of the importance of hearing Jesus' voice. That's what they needed. They needed to be fed by their shepherd. As Moses said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, this leads to the next sub-point, and that is ultimately we need not just His voice, but we need Him. That's another place that the Holy Spirit and Mark are taking us this morning. Jesus came not just to give bread, but Jesus came to be bread. 
What he does here in Mark chapter 6 will all lead to the night when Jesus is betrayed and he will take bread in his hands once again. He will give thanks to the Father and he will explain to them these baffled followers that he is about to give of himself. And Mark reminds us that without his life sustaining our lives, we are dead. Jesus is the bread broken that we might have life. So not just are you listening to his voice. Are you listening to his word? But do you live your days, your minutes, your hours conscious of his presence? Dependent upon his spirit and upon that grace. Because subpoint number four is that only he satisfies. Only he satisfies. Mark gives us so many details in this story. I mean, it's this, it's this intricate picture, it's this intricate portrait that Mark is painting for us. Five loaves, two fish, divisions of fifty and divisions of a hundred, and then twelve baskets left over. What does it all mean? Well, it's not some complicated numerology. But there is some meaning here. This is the perfect provision that Jesus has provided for His people. Not only has He fed the masses, these thousands, how it all happened, we don't know. But not only has He fed the thousands, but there are 12 portions left over. Now, I've always pictured these baskets that the disciples had left over as being these huge laundry baskets, and therefore uh, the picture being one of overabundance, that God's grace is extravagant, and certainly God's grace is extravagant. But I read this week that there is evidence that the baskets that they were used were very small baskets, wicker baskets, about the size of a lunch pail, like they got the original five loaves and two fish from. A basket like the little boy was carrying. And Jesus has provided just enough for the men who have served. The men who at this point are too fatigued to do anything. He knows what we need and He provides to the very last one. Only He satisfies. We nibble on the world thinking He's not enough and we wonder why we're so constantly hungry. Well, the last sub-point under this second truth of Jesus is the shepherd who has come to feed is this. He delights to use us. Don't miss this aspect of this familiar story. Jesus delights to use us. I skipped over one of the most striking things I think about this passage. The disciples, surrounded by thousands of people, propose a perfectly good solution to the problem. Jesus, let's send the crowd away to get some food. And what does Jesus say to them? You feed them. You feed them. 
I mean, one can only imagine the, the look on these men's faces. And I think either in playful banter or straight up sarcasm, they reply, sure, Jesus, 20, or excuse me, 200 days worth of wages. Should we just collect that and buy some bread? Will that be enough to feed this 15,000 people? What was Jesus doing here? Here's what he was doing. He was calling his disciples to the impossible. He is inviting them to participate in his mission. And he's inviting them to do that, not with their vast resources, but with their nothing. See, Jesus points out their inability in order that he might focus on he and the Father's sufficiency. They had no strength to give. Just five loaves and two fish is all that they could muster. And that's exactly the kind of weakness that the Lord wanted so that he could display his glory, so that he could show himself strong. Brothers and sisters, as we sit here this morning as the redeemed, as the church of Jesus, there can be no greater promise. Not only do we ourselves need life, right? We ourselves are needy sheep, but He delights to use us to give life to others. And it's not, it's not through the supremely gifted. It's through the ordinary. It's through the widow's might. It's through the little boy's loaves and fishes. It's through the disciples' inability. It's through those who simply give what they have and trust that He will multiply it. What a gift. Can you imagine this boy's face as he's watching his fish and his loaves not run out, but keep feeding and keep feeding and keep feeding? Those are my fish. Those were my loaves. Wow, Jesus, wow. Whatever you have, no matter how meager, let him use it. Friends, we have a shepherd, which is good because we need a shepherd. And that shepherd is Jesus, and he's come to lead you. Listen to his voice. Follow that voice. Trust His voice. He's the shepherd who's come to feed you. Feast on His goodness. And invite others to do the same. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word this morning. Father, we thank You for the message that Your Holy Spirit gives to us, Your people, not to try harder, not to pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps, but no, just give what you can give. 
and watch the Lord use it. Oh, give us hearts to hear, to follow, to trust. And Holy Spirit, take this Word and use it in the lives of Your people as You see fit, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.